And welcome back to Brainchild, where potentials are unlocked in life and in our careers. Let's dive straight into this week's discussion. In the house, we have Tina Choi, who creates food videos under the brand name Doobie Doo Bop. She is known for her signature quote, Don't Yuck My Yum, and her TikTok videos have gone viral over the past few months. From Korean traditional to Japanese fusion and Italian, Tina puts out original recipes that are easy to follow, so I like to go on her accounts for some lunch and dinner ideas myself. Tina is a graduate of Cornell University, where she studied food science, and she's simply thriving as a food content creator right now. So let's bring her in. Hello, Tina. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Are you in London currently? I am. I am. I'm still a little bit jet lagged, but I'm easing into it slowly. Mm -hmm. Are you originally from London? Yeah, just a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Korea. I spent a little bit of time in Canada uh, when I was younger to really learn the language. Uh, my mom always envisioned me to become a very international person because it was an opportunity that she never got to have. So I studied in Canada, went back to Korea, uh, went to international school for a little bit on Jeju Island of all places. Which one? I went to NLCS, um, which is like the uh, British one. Um, yeah, so I went there for a bit and then I ended up going to prep school and I spent one year at McGill and I was a guaranteed transfer into Cornell for food science. So yeah, I graduated in 2020 um, and this is what I've been doing since. That is so awesome. And I didn't know that you also went to an international school and you went back and forth because I also went to KIS, one of the international schools. Yeah, I have a bunch of friends from KIS. I mean, it's such a small world it if is. you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people who identify themselves as foodies, whether they just love to eat out or make food at home. And also like being in the hotel school myself, I know a lot of peers and professionals in the F&B and culinary world. And it seemed mm -hmm. like you've also had this ongoing passion and really stepped it up for yourself to pursue what you love. And so I wanted to ask, when did this interest begin? So I want to say my interest for, for food really peaked when I was in high school, when I went to prep school in Connecticut. It honestly, you know, um, came out of a need of necessity. I was craving Korean food so much. And the closest Korean food restaurant, or the closest Korean restaurant that I could get to was like a 30 minute Uber ride away. And it was like 30 bucks. Um, one way to Uber there and it was just like you know I didn't want to spend a hundred dollars to go to a Korean restaurant um, alone and it was also like very hard to find friends who wanted to try Korean food and like spend a hundred bucks on it so it was just like yeah I really should get cooking so I really started experimenting with cooking and mostly Korean food in the beginning starting high school mm -hmm. and I was not a good cook in high school it was very like much just experimenting with different techniques and you know a lot of late night phone calls to my grandma who's an amazing cook and asking her what or asking her how to cook some of the dishes and kind of asking you know oh my god like do i need to put the radish in first for the broth like <laughs> how do i make doenjang jjigae like i want to make kimchi jjigae it was so very basic things so i think that's really when my love for food peaked 
because, you know, I was just craving it a lot. Mm -hmm. And did you know at the time in high school that you might want to perhaps pursue a career or studies in that in college and after college as well? Uh, to be completely honest, probably not. Um, I mean, my I would spend most of my time um, just watching a lot of videos on YouTube. Um, back that was like a time when really food videos were really popping, and it was there was a second wave of food media on YouTube um, after Food Network and more conventional platforms. So that was kind of where um, my love for food and food media. Um, started. Um, I really grew up watching a lot of Eddie Wong, um, some Action Bronson, like a lot of the Munchies channels. I also really loved watching um, like traditional Food Network videos such as, um, you know, Alton Brown's uh, Good Eats. And that's like a lot more food science background. It was something that I always just strictly thought of as a hobby. And I never thought that you know, a uh, career could come out of it. Um, actually, my family's background is in medicine. So I also thought that I would be going to pharmacy school. So I ended up applying for food science um, in high school because it met a lot of the pre-med requirements or the pre-pharmacy requirements for grad school. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do in high school. I knew that I loved to eat. I loved food. And a lot of my APs were in science. So it was just, I didn't really think much about it. I thought that, you know, I'll figure it out once I get to college. So that was kind of my approach to delving into food science, I really didn't know much about it before I applied and learned in college. Wow. So you've sketched out the intro to like your major of food science beautifully so that I don't have to <laughs> myself. What does a food science major study? Yeah, so that's one of the questions that I get most asked probably on my Instagram and DMs. Uh, people do not know what food science is. Oftentimes they get confused with like culinary arts. Um, they think of it as cooking, but it's actually very, very different. Um, so <laughs> this is like kind of embarrassing, but food science is actually in the Cal's um, like in the Cal's engineering department. I'm not saying I'm an engineer by all means, but it is a very, very heavily science background. Like my first year, my second year was all the general science classes, bio, physics, chem, all the introductory classes that everyone takes as a pre-med. I take that too. And once you get to second year, it's, you know, the 2000s classes, um, a little bit more advanced and much more food science specific classes. So we have to learn food chemistry, food physics, food biology. And there's really three big criterias of learning food science. One would be the food science, food science background, which is a lot more science driven and it's much more research based. And there is also the food safety um, category, which is really focusing on how to make food that you know doesn't poison someone and how to make sure that the food that we consume and that we buy is safe and sound so it's really like that quality control mechanism mm -hmm. and then the third would be uh, food science business 
um, like the business aspect of food science, which is, you know, food entrepreneurship and, you know, new, up, new and upcoming uh, food startups and food marketing. Like it's also a lot of, of marketing and operations. Like how do we make sure that this new product that we have is appealing to the new customer? Because I, I'm sure coming from business background, you know that it's very hard for a new food product to enter the market and do well. Obviously, there are exceptions like, um, you know, Oatly and Beyond Meat, but it's a very, very tough market to break into. So that's some of the things that you learn in the food science business aspect. I was in the food science business um, concentration yeah yeah I was the food science <laughs> I've you know it's been and I haven't graduated that long ago but I'm still <laughs> forgetting so much but yeah I was the food science business concentration major and I've always been super interested in food startups and working to have my own food brand essentially that was a dream of mine when I was in college mm-hmm. um so yeah that's a little about food science yeah, um, you were talking about how difficult it is for a new food trend or item to enter the market. And I have a very shallow knowledge compared to you because I've only taken a few culinary food related classes in the hotel school. But yeah, we also learned like it starts from the top of a new item or trend is introduced in the fine dining scene and then it translates down to like more casual restaurants and then later down into like supermarkets for people to use at homes definitely yeah and i remember like thinking that's similar to fashion where we have like high fashion fashion designers come up come up with these new trends every season and then um you see what do you call them like retail brands yes like zara (laughs) Mm -hmm. taking inspiration from them yeah very similar yeah um i I guess like a good example would be like you know if you think of ketchup people almost always buy heinz tomato ketchup it's just something that you don't really stray away from you know um for most consumers and for most people who go to the grocery store and buy groceries, it's going to be hard for them to really buy another brand of ketchup. There's a lot of different ketchups um, out in the market, but unless you're like an experimental foodie, you're probably always going to go for what you know and what you know tastes good. Even if another product is better, um, a lot of people, when it comes to food and when it comes to buying groceries for your own home, we tend to look for things that are comforting and that we know. So it's very, very difficult for a new food brand to really um, penetrate that market and do well. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that insight. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I'm no I'm no professional, but it's just something that I vaguely remember from taking food science business classes. But yeah, go ahead. So what do your friends from the major, other people who study that program end up doing after they graduate from Cornell? So one of my closest friends, she is working at Cargill, which is like, she's like doing product management for 
eggs and uh, quality control. She, that's what she's doing. So a lot of people go into either um, R&D, um, research and development for developing new products. Um, big company that a lot of people go to is Pepsi and Coca-Cola um, to work there. There's also a lot of people that go and work at Shabani, either R&D or quality. Um, I know some people who work at food startups or a lot of people actually opt to go to grad school, which is something that I considered briefly, but I, to be frank, I just didn't really want to study more. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was, you know, I was kind of like in this really tricky situation where I wasn't sure what I wanted to do still. I knew I loved cooking. I was cooking all throughout college, but I didn't want to really be a quality supervisor or a safety manager in the middle of nowhere um, even though those jobs are usually the stepping stone to getting more you know more interesting roles later on in the future like recipe and development for bigger companies it was just not something that I wanted to do and I was considering going to grad school but I had a feeling that I was going to be in the same situation two years later um, so I decided not to and I took some time off for myself and it's how I got into posting content for TikTok yeah wow and so I'm reading your LinkedIn bio and it says passionate oh god about... <laughs> I I'm a big stalker so <laughs> stay with me so it says passionate about culinary R&D re- research and development and food startups is that still in the equation or do you think no you're (laughs) okay no I feel like that was okay I one I have not touched my LinkedIn for so long because it's not very relevant in my field Mm. I feel like for social media Mm -hmm. um brands reach out to you via Instagram or your website or I have people reaching out via TikTok so I have not really touched um like done anything to my LinkedIn in so long, which I know is so ludicrous for many people who are in the professional field. Um, and especially for anyone who graduates out of Cornell, I feel like LinkedIn is like the place that people, they get reached out for jobs and um, business. <laughs> but yeah, um, I still really like learning about new food startups and Um, research and development but I think now it's really pivoted towards food trends and how food is portrayed in media food culture and history is definitely what I'm much more interested about oh yeah I mean I'm very hyperactive on it because for me like I'm a graduating senior so I have a very great interest in like job openings but that definitely makes sense and you've opened Mm -hmm. up a new idea of media you've introduced the theme of media Uh, just now and so one of the things that caught my attention out of all of your internship and work experiences was your internship summer internship as a reporter at Asian Boss and as you know I've always had a great interest and love for this industry so I wanted to ask how did you think to work for this independent media company after you've done work within the food industry for so long and why the reporter position 
Uh, honestly, this was because I um, got introduced. I had a friend working at Asian Boss at the time, and he was uh, studying UX at Cornell. And he was a very good friend of mine, also Korean. <laughs> and he said, "Hey, I think that you know, working at Asian Boss would be a really good fit for you." And at that time, I was kind of looking for internships in the U.S., and most of them were based in New York, and they weren't paying. And like, I had to pay like a ludicrous amount of rent and wasn't getting paid and that wasn't something that I really wanted to do I also just wanted to stay in Korea near my parents and just spend some time in Korea because I don't get a chance to really go back that often so I ended up taking it not really thinking oh yes this is going to really further my understanding this is going to really further my understanding for social media and this is what I'm gonna do it was just uh it was just luck honestly um Mm -hmm. and i had watched asian boss on youtube before and i think everyone says this but i've always dreamt uh, dreamt of being a youtuber in one way just because i didn't know what kind of it it sounds like the dream job you make content for what you want to do and you get paid to do it and there's so many you see so many videos of youtubers earning so much money so i was like yeah this is maybe something that i would want to do and um that's how i started working for asian boss um but yeah it wasn't really much thought into it i think what a lot of people assume about me is that all these experiences kind of tied in together to create uh, to really all these experiences tied up together to help my social media career but it was honestly just i don't know what i'm gonna do this sounds interesting (laughs) there's an opportunity for it i'm bilingual and that's what they were looking for so it was simple as that Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense i feel like a lot of us just start something without necessarily thinking by doing this internship i'm going to get this xyz out of the role and then i'm going to go on to my next project but then other people like looking at you will see like a pipeline of oh she did this and this and then she went on to do this and it all makes sense because she, she's now a youtuber and a tiktoker yeah i totally agree and something that i feel like i've been told constantly at cornell was really delve into make all your work experiences kind of you know, it should be in the same realm of things. So you look not scattered mm-hmm. and you're much more uh, specified um, career path. And like, to be completely honest, like my confidence level for applying to jobs when I was at Cornell was extremely low because I knew that my background was quite scattered. It didn't really fit in anywhere. And I wasn't, this kind of goes back to like how I started doing TikTok, which I want to talk about a little bit more, but like I wasn't specified in one field. I didn't do food science for long enough and do research and development for long enough that I'm like a very optimal candidate to be a researcher or a lab assistant or working in um, R&D for big companies. So that was something I, because I only had one or two Um, experiences and they were pretty short it wasn't like I wasn't very like people didn't really want to hire me for that specific reason same with media companies because I came from food science background and I had a lot of internships that weren't media related and I really had one um, internship under my belt that was 
related to social media, I wasn't an optimal candidate to apply for social media positions. And that's kind of been my story the entire time before I started this. I felt that my experience wasn't really fit for one job perfectly. And that was you know, something that I heard from career counselors and my professors at the time saying, hey, Tina, like you really need to focus on one thing and do that. So that's why I was considering grad school to really have more experience and have at least one more line on my resume saying that this is my specified field. But it was also a jump that I wasn't willing to make paying like 50k a year to do something that I don't even know if I'm really passionate about. So with quarantine, I, you know, I was a senior and I didn't really know what to do. Um, I was applying to jobs and really not getting the jobs that I wanted. And I started just posting content on TikTok thinking that, hey, this is going to be a portfolio for future culinary like development um, for big brands like HelloFresh and Blue Apron that I could be like, you know, hey, this is something that I've been doing very consistently for a year. I didn't expect any traction from it in the beginning, but at least, you know, this is my skill set. Even though I don't have any culinary background, I am a good home cook and this is something I love doing. And that was like how I started TikTok and my approach to really posting content online. I didn't expect anything from it. It was just a passion project of mine. Mm, Wow, I didn't really know the motivation behind why you started your accounts, but it's inspiring because I'm exactly at the point where you described before where you were graduating senior and I've been applying to jobs and I've been trying to figure out my next plans. Me starting this podcast was a way of actualizing like my passion for media without having to wait for someone to employ me for me to start doing what I love and so it's really great to see how you've grown exponentially in such a short amount of time too I definitely want to now bring us to 2021 because I was surprised that you I figured that you've been doing running these accounts for a few years at minimum, but I found out while stalking you again <laughs> that you started everything this year. Is that correct? Yeah, so my first video on TikTok was February 4th. Mm-hmm. So three months and uh, like two weeks. Yeah, so it's, I'm very, I'm a TikTok baby. Yeah, well, <laughs> you have a great traction with almost like 700,000 followers and as you mentioned before, you have a YouTube channel and an Instagram account. So tell me t- or tell us briefly the nut- the name of your channel and what do you do on it? Hi, my name is Tina. I'm a content creator making cooking content on TikTok and Instagram under the username at DoobieDoobop. I mainly focus on making Korean food and Japanese food, food that I really ate growing up. So that's what I do. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, but I haven't really posted much on it, but I will be focusing more on longer forms of content now that I've really kind of grown my presence on short media, short foreign media platforms, and it's just what people want to see more of. So that's what I'm going to be pivoting my focus to. Is that why you started with TikTok first? Because before you mentioned that you wanted to become a YouTuber and then you've decided to enter into TikTok, which is short form media. Yeah, so I actually had one or two uh, videos on YouTube before I started TikTok. And 
it was like what I eat in a week video and I would document everything that I ate and it was honestly so difficult to do that because it wasn't just like uh, you know filming what I was eating it was the process for it and the video ended up being like 30 minutes because I had trouble trying to cut it down and it was just so much and I would just it was mainly for my family and my friends to see I would force them to like watch it for um, you know watchable hours <laughs> but I would have like 200 views and it was just something that um, I also thought, hey, uh, it's something that I should do consistently and maybe it'll amount to something, but it really wasn't getting any traction. And I knew that for YouTube, it takes a lot more time and commitment to really take off and consistency. Um, so I was also just like not consistent because it was such a hard it was just so difficult and I there was no I felt that there was no reason for people to watch me like I wasn't a famous chef I wasn't someone that people know and there wasn't anything very special so I understood why it wasn't really getting traction so I stopped doing that and I was you know I was thinking you know, TikTok's really big. With quarantine, everyone is on TikTok. Literally, almost everyone I know and in the group chats, people are sharing TikToks. So I wasn't on TikTok um, because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit old. Um, <laughs> but I was looking through some of the content and I realized there wasn't anyone really making Korean food on it. And it was something that I'm very, very passionate about. So I wanted to showcase that. And since it was also like a lot shorter than YouTube, it didn't require as much equipment and effort. And the barrier to entry was a lot lower. So that's why I started on TikTok. And I'm sure you know this uh, because you love like learning more about social media, but TikTok's just an amazing platform when it comes to spreading your content mm -hmm. to such a large audience because it really just is like a mass spreader you know like it's just amazing you can become a nobody to somebody in one day from tiktok from one video yeah i mean algorithm truly blesses a lot of people and that is one of the benefits of tiktok and people actually want to see that they don't want I mean, they also want to see the famous YouTubers content from them, but they also want to see normal people that they've never met. People love discovering other people and kind of the rawness of content that the, those people put out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And this is something that I talk about a lot with my content creator friends. Um, I see a lot of like high quality videos that do extremely well on Instagram actually do so poorly on TikTok because it's not what TikTok is about. TikTok's really about that rawness. Like, you know, it's that feeling, hey, this is something that I could also be doing. This is someone I know. And it really makes you seem very, very relatable. And I think that's the beauty of TikTok. Um, like, yeah, and I see almost like lower quality videos, like you know, videos that aren't shot on a DSLR with like a crazy sound system and just regular phones on your phone are the ones that actually really end up doing well. Um, so it's a very different landscape from Instagram. Um, and I guess TikTok is really great for pushing content and discovering new content is what TikTok is amazing at. Mm -hmm, yeah, definitely. What was the thought behind the iconic catchphrase that you use? Don't yuck my yum. <laughs> I thought it was like the most cleverest thing. 
an accurate one too. So don't yuck my yum. It's not like my saying. It's a common saying that people say, I guess, to like kids. Um, I've heard it's being like told. Like I heard this girl say it in my high school once. Um, because. I don't even know what the backstory for it, but I found out like, and I also like heard it again for the second time when I was, you know, doing, um, I was doing like volunteer work for little kids and um, like the teacher was trying to feed this like kindergartner and she was just, she was just like, yeah, you should eat this. Like, and she was like, oh no, that's so gross. And like, I'm not going to eat it. So I heard the teacher say like, don't yuck my yum. And I was like, oh, that's like pretty catchy. Um, and it was something that I've been using over the years because I was also cooking a lot in like high school in my dorm and I would be like cooking with fish sauce and like kimchi and it would obviously like stink up the kitchen and like people would frown about it and like people got kind of upset and I would just say like hey like don't yuck my yum this is the food of my culture and it was just a catchphrase that like people kind of knew me as like I would um I would just go around saying that because I loved like stinky food and like um like fermented food that was what I really really loved um and I didn't I had it on as like my bio like when I first started and I didn't really start saying it until I had my Korean chicken feet video because <laughs> that was the most you know yucky thing and I knew that there would be backlash on it so I started saying it and people really loved it so now when I don't say it I am mobbed by the crowds and they really want me to say it. I love it. So it, has, so it has been something that like really defines my channel and people know me as. And I was very surprised to find that that was a sentiment shared by a lot of people from a lot of different cultures. So mm-hmm. um, I'm very, very thankful that it resonated with so many people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at first, because I'm Korean and all the things that you created and made looked really good to me so I was like what do you mean everything looks delicious and then I started thinking yeah but there's like so many other people watching this who maybe aren't familiar with Korean food and all of this may be new to them so that makes sense this is a random memory but in middle school I was living in Kansas and like a lot of my friends would bring in those lunchables to school oh my god and one of this girl um this girl brought the pizza lunchable and she put like the cracker dough on one side she put like pizza sauce on one side and then the other side she put like chocolate and then like everyone at the table was making fun of her and she was like like so what it tastes good to me and I was like yeah do you like if it tastes good to you that's all that matters yeah for sure I mean I like went to school in Canada when I was very little like from second grade to fifth grade and it was like you know I it was a very it was like a private christian school and i was like one of the two asians in my class and this was back when like people didn't even know where korea was like when i would say like you know like they would just be like yeah i'm from korea and they would be like yeah like is that japan or china you know it was like really like korea was just not really well known to to the west even even then and like i say even then but that's like over 10 years ago um (laughs) but yeah and like I would, my mom would pack me like bulgogi and kimbap and kimchi bokkeumbap, like all of my favorite dishes. And she would pack it in the lunchbox. And it is like kind of like the quintessential, you know, Asian American story growing up. You know, you pack, your mom packs your lunch, but it's smelly and people like are like, ew, and like that's so gross. And they just kind of like, you know, like, and you get kind of bullied for it. Like I had that same experience um, when I was 
growing up and it was something food was something that I was very very self-conscious about like mm-hmm. when I was younger and even in high school I was very even though I like really missed Korean food for the longest time because I wasn't confident enough to really cook the things that I missed like I yeah it was just something that I was kind of ashamed of for the longest time the fact that I liked these foods that people thought was like not cool now it's like completely different because you know Asian food and Korean food is now just like the food to eat it's like very like cool and hype and you know everyone now wants to try like kimchi and they have a crock of kimchi and they wanted like try tteokbokki and like k-food is really on the trend now but back then that wasn't the case and um I think once I started really like kind of going through my high school like emo phase of being like yeah I hate everyone like I don't care what anyone thinks like I'm just gonna make the food I want to make I think that's when I really started finding peace with myself through food and I think I imbue a lot of my cultural identity and um a way to really express that was always through food for me mm-hmm. yeah times have really changed it really has like Mm -hmm. you know like i'm so surprised to see like even like so many different kimchi brands in supermarkets like it's like it always like surprises me every time um like if you go to wegmans like there's like four different types of kimchi there's like mother-in-law's kimchi there's like the korean (laughs) brand kimchi and then there's like an american brand kimchi and it's so surprising and they even have kimchi at walmart and like can you imagine that like five six years ago like absolutely not yeah. So times are changing. And just coming to Ithaca too, in College Town itself, I was like, wow, there are four different Korean restaurants, whereas like other restaurants, there's only like one or two types of them. And they're all very good. But at first I was like, oh, maybe it's because there's so many Koreans at Cornell. But then when I went into each of them, I saw that that wasn't necessarily the case. And like everybody enjoyed the food. So I think even it, t- it took time for me to accept how like amazing the food was. I thought I was just biased because I'm Korean, but um, yeah, I'm seeing like friends. I have like friends who are, who are Caucasians and they make their own kimchi from home. And of course, these are like foodies, so they're very serious about like home cooked meals. But mm-hmm. <laughs> the love around Korean food is really real, and it's like a good cultural f- phenomenon that that's happened that I wouldn't have imagined when I was back in middle school in Kansas. Yeah, and I feel like if you go to middle school in Kansas, that's also like, wow, that's like, that's a wild time, I feel like. Also a fun fact about me, um, I or maybe you saw this on my LinkedIn. I don't know if this is still on my LinkedIn, but I worked at Coco as a waitress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I worked at Coco as a waitress and like I'm I wasn't supposed so I'm a Korean citizen, so I wasn't supposed to, so I like worked illegally there and I got paid in cash and it was like really good money. So I was like I did it for a while. Um but yeah, I would notice like that most of the people that would come and eat were actually not Korean. You know, it was a lot of Chinese international students and um, Caucasian students, or um, I actually found that there were a lot of Jewish kids that would eat at Coco. So that was something I was like very surprised by. I was like, wow. that's pretty interesting and like everyone would always order bibimbap or like bulgogi though mm-hmm. um but then once in a while if there was a white man that orders kimchi jjigae i would you know i'd be like hey you know you know your stuff yeah. you know and i would give him a little more side dishes wow. like make sure his water's filled up and be like 
hey, you, you're a learned man. Like, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> my friends would always joke about, like, if their engineering major doesn't turn out well, they, they can just open a tofu stew restaurant by a college town and they'll be well off for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if, is there a Korean fried chicken place now in College Town or no? Um, I'm not sure, but they, uh, Coco started serving Korean fried chicken. I don't know if they did when you were working there. No, they didn't. I, I'm interested. No, but don't you think like a very small, like Korean, like chicken and like beer place would do incredibly well. They only serve that. Like imagine just like college town kids, like Wings Over Ithaca is so overhyped. Like I (laughs) used to live in Plaza, Mm -hmm. which is like in the same, um, building as wings over but like yeah it's like really good at like 2 a.m when you're drunk and like after a party but like it's like when you have it during midday it's it's really not that great but i feel like the korean fried chicken place would do incredibly well and you know um the karaoke place near uh cornell that was also started by two um korean cornellian um hotelies um, and they're sisters and they open um well, i don't know i forget what it was called yeah i forget to, i used to go like every other weekend because i love to sing <laughs> but i'm forgetting the name but yeah i know yeah. exactly which one you're talking about and it did incredible it does incredibly well and it's long standing i don't know how how it is um after the pandemic mm-hmm. but yeah like there are so many opportunities um for korean food and korean cultural like for Korean fried chicken especially to do mm-hmm. well in college town and honestly I remember telling my parents you know hey if I don't get a good job um like I want to open a Korean restaurant here and I know it will do well mm-hmm. but now with COVID and no students like I'm not sure how that would how that would have panned out um but hey who knows maybe if my TikTok career doesn't go well that's something I'll do I'll go back to Ithaca and start a Korean fried chicken restaurant oh my gosh if you do, I'll I'll go over and I'll try everything <laughs> on the menu. Yeah, uh, no, you. I'll I'll give it to. I'll give everything on the menu for free. Oh, yeah, that's my promise. That is so um, sweet. Even though, even though, the chances of me opening a Korean fried chicken restaurant is very very low, um, especially in Ithaca, you'll get everything for free the first time at the least. Thank you for your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into your content on TikTok. First of all, do you cook for yourself every day? How often do you film these? Um, okay, so I think cooking for myself is very different from cooking for like camera. To be very, very honest with you, I used to cook for myself every single day when I lived in uh, Cornell. And I uh, really hated getting takeout because I just hated the amount of waste that would come out of it and like cooking is a lot less wasteful um so that's like you know when i wasn't filming i was always cooking for myself but then now that i'm filming um i definitely cook for myself or the foods that i make for myself are very different it's usually something very quick and easy very simple um so that i can be full and um focus on other things but yeah, it's all the foods that I make for TikTok, at least these days, is the food that I crave, um, that I want. And um, 
I kind of like have very strong cravings. So whenever I have a craving, I write down all the things that I want to eat. And I also look at the comments section for what people want to see more. And I um, plan out my schedule, my uh, filming schedule so that I can get groceries in advance and um, any equipment that I might need so that I am prepared and I'm not scrambling when I'm filming. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So one of the things with like food on media is that presentation is very, very important. And when it comes to food, keeping the colors alive is very important, I learned. And I've noticed that every time you post a video, the ingredients are like at at their freshest quality. And so I wanted to ask if you like planned out and like bought these ahead of time the day before or the day of, or you just happen to have all of these ingredients ready to go in the fridge. So it really depends. I usually so um, I usually post like three times a week, and for two um, for the two I pl- um, plan in advance. So I make sure all the ingredients are there, and sometimes I even do like two dishes in one day because if I get if I do a grocery haul, I want all the foods to look really fresh and green. So I cook everything in one day, but I always leave one day open free for you know whatever inspiration that I might get when I go to the farmer's market I always go to the farmer's market at least once a week or once every two weeks because it's where I get the most inspiration and a lot of times it's hey like what's like very fresh that I can cook with and that's kind of like yeah I always try and leave one for when I want to cook something on the whim I feel like I'm always eating the same thing every day unless once in a while I go out of my way to find a recipe but I feel like it's always based on a craving and not like an inspiration coming from the ingredient itself. So that's a new approach that I, I'd want to try out. Yeah, I think also like just being like, okay, so I did a cabbage roll video I like saw. yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have a lot of leftover cabbages. So I am going to be making like okonomiyaki just Ooh. because I have so many cabbages. And I have, I hate wasting food. So like, you know, for the stems, I always like put it in the freezer and put it in the stock. And people are like, wow, that's such a good idea. Or like, do you have to use an entire like cabbage to just use the stock? But that's not the case. You can be very resourceful with food and you just have to be creative with it. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many ways that you can like, um, I think like flavor and like food especially is just like, it's building on flavor. It's like you have one note of this and you build on top of that. It's like music almost in a sense, like in your, it's like a harmony. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I almost forgot to mention, but I actually tried making the kirkari toast that you made i saw and it looked so good yeah and i tried it and i'm really happy i did that's so sweet Mm -hmm. yeah oh i love it when people try out my food i think that's like what makes me the happiest more than like a video doing well or more than like you know followers and like all the metrics i feel like it's I, I get the happiest when people try out my food and they reach out to me and that's what really, really makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Next time I make something of yours, I will take a photo. I'll definitely send you a picture. Yeah, please do <laughs> because I love seeing what other people make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you get the recipes? Like, Do you come up with your own or do you pull from like other sources online? 
So for a lot of Korean recipes, it's the stuff that I've been making for a really long time. And it's just like recipes that I've accumulated over the years. Um, and it's a lot of my family recipes too, my grandma's recipes. Right. Um, and just a lot of recipe testing. Um, I come from doing like uh, food, working in a lab a lot. So naturally I would write down like measurements. So that's just something that kind of really stuck with me during my time working in labs um so korean recipes they're all mine but for japanese recipes like a lot something that i haven't really tried much before like i made udon for the first time before i pulled it off of um a recipe online and it was actually a recipe from i think cook with my cook with cook with my dog or something <laughs> it looks it's a youtube channel and I always make sure to write down like recipe adapted from XYZ and I always try to do testing at least once or twice before I put the recipes online and on my channel mm -hmm. so that I know that it's good. So uh, yeah, that's usually how I get my recipes done. Mm -hmm. That's a good habit to start writing down. Sometimes I will create something that tastes good, but then I never really do my measurements. I just do it by my eyeball. Feel. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, no, that's completely fine. Um, a really good way, I, that's how I started too. And if you do that, just measure out how, what the weight was before. Like, let's say you use kochukaru, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the initial weight of kochukaru is 200 grams, but then you eyeball it and like you use um, and you use it and you don't really know how much you've used. Just measure that same bottle with the kochukaru and then see like if it's 170 grams after you've used it and you've created a product that you're happy with that's what a lot of people do for recipe testing because you know people aren't like i don't also think like okay this is like one fourth cup kochukaru <laughs> and this will take uh, this will taste this way it's also a lot of eyeballing and you know feels and that's kind of i would say like the biggest way uh, the easiest way to kind of write down your measurements and hone it down mm -hmm. that's a great tip okay i'm gonna start doing that <laughs> good good oh and then now moving on to like you being active on these accounts and being in london what is your plan moving forward with your accounts and other projects so tiktok and so, okay, yeah, I'm still going to be posting on TikTok and on Instagram, like short form medias, but is it okay if I just like talk about something completely different for a little bit? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, <laughs> so so uh, something that like, this is a common feeling that's shared by a lot of TikTokers and just anyone who's in the content creation world is that we always like, you know, metrics are something that we always suffer a lot from. There are moments where my video does extremely well, but there are also times where it doesn't perform as well. And it really like, you know, it takes a huge toll on your mental health. And it's not just, it's not a feeling just shared by me. It's a feeling shared by everyone because the how well you do isn't like it's not like any other job where it shows it's it's not as overt we get it shown in numbers and we can also see it um, we can also compare it with different people so we're always comparing ourselves with different people and that's something that's like very dangerous about social media and it's just inevitable that we care about metrics because it's a way for us to measure oh is our content really liked by people and there's no really way of knowing 
knowing that honestly mm-hmm. um so for me i was really struggling um a few like a month ago before i went to korea um just kind of like taking in the fact that hey like not every video is going to be a home run and even if it doesn't do well like um and you know what if i like fall off the grid and i'm like not relevant anymore i'm just like old news it's fine um, you have to always have something that really makes you happy on the side so that not just the metrics is like it's just focusing on metrics isn't going to be all to your life because that's very volatile and that's a very unhealthy relationship to have when you're making content so my passion project um segueing into my passion project has been making aprons and doing more um like yeah making aprons and kind of preparing for my merch and really solidifying my brand and my website so that's what i've been doing the most at the moment in terms of um other stuff uh, in terms of stuff other than making content um i'm really excited to be launching my um aprons and hopefully be doing more products on my website um, by this summer so that it's also something that I can focus on other than just making content um yeah but initially I started this thinking um I love making content but I do think that I want to kind of segue more into doing um, e-commerce business because I think social media and marketing is something that's just very very powerful and if I get the chance to showcase brands and things that I personally love that I know about from my time in Korea and Japan like I would love for the world to share so that's what I really want to do um end goal and we'll see we'll see how that goes too mm-hmm. yeah I hear it as like a common theme for creators that there's different approaches that you can take one is like more of a reactive approach in kind of looking at your views and subscriber growth and seeing kind of guessing what people want based on your past performances and trying to replicate those to create future successes and then the other approach is not looking at those numbers and kind of just sticking with what you want to do and then hoping that in the long run people will see what you're trying to provide and they'll be attracted to you as a brand but that takes more more time and there's definitely other approaches but those two have been the most common that I've heard about and yeah I definitely like my I have a very small podcast at the moment and I'm just trying to not look at the numbers and just stick with the stories that I want to share and the content that I want to provide and hoping that it'll provide value for people in the long run yeah i really like what you're doing and it's definitely a lot more than what i was doing um by the end of my senior year i was really suffering from a lot of senioritis and i wasn't really doing anything so i love that you're proactive and it's going to even if let's say you know it's not going to be uh what's his name joe rogenstein Mm -hmm. uh, whatever uh yeah like it, it like you know this is going to stay and what you're doing someone's gonna like it and i have immense like i think it's really cool that you started doing this yeah so keep on doing it um i wish i wish i did something like this in college and be uh and much more proactive but it's also okay to like take your time and figure it out because 
everyone moves at a different pace. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> that means a lot. So yeah, I want to ask, I love that you're doing your new line of business with e-commerce. Where can people find it? And when can people start getting their hands on the aprons? So I've been doing, I've been kind of showing a little sneak peek at my merch on my cooking lives that I do um, bi-week, um, bi bi weekly. Yeah, once every two weeks. So a lot, I've been trying to kind of create the hype for it. I'm still, um, so I've reached out to suppliers. I found the fabric that I want. I finalized the design and I've got my business license and I figured out taxes, um, all that. Um, so I'm very happy. Um, but even then there are some details that I want to fine tune to make sure that I have a good product. So it's not available at the moment, but by July, it will be up on my website and my website is still under construction, but I am very, very excited to share um, by the end of May. So yes, wow. be on the lookout. Yeah, you must be in a big hustle now. I can, I can see why you've been so busy <laughs> with your undertaking. Yeah, I've also, I'm so sorry that I flaked last time. I swear. I'm oh my God, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, but it, it has been really hectic and a lot to manage um, on my own, um, which is why a lot of my friends actually who make content are signed by agencies, but it's something that I um, have, I've chose not to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let, let me know once it's out or I'll, I guess I'll find it through Instagram under your account and I can't wait to see what you come up with and yeah, what you have yeah, for the world. I'll, I'll show you like what it looks like um, once we're done once we're done recording I'll like send you a photo of oh it and you should tell me what you think. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah and if you're in Korea I'll send you um, I'll send it over to your Korean address because it's really easy to send and yeah I got this uh, my first merch I'll send it to you so oh send me your God. address when you get a chance yeah. What an honor. Okay, I'll, I'll wear no, it. No, not an honor. Oh my God, stop it, girl. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> so that yeah. yeah, that was all the questions I had. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I was really happy that you've kind of transitioned the topics, which is usually what I do. But then you've done such a natural job in that I didn't have to like pivot like so unnaturally. <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, also, I just like I'm just curious about more of you. And I think it's my turn to ask about you for a little bit if you have time. Um, so um, are you Korean or are you like American by citizenship? Good, good question. I, I am dual. So I was born in Indiana. I, I know, super random. <laughs> and, and then I actually did also go back and forth between the States and Korea like about five, six different times. I grew up in Kansas, did some of uh, elementary school and middle school there. And then I came back to Korea um, for high school, but I, it was, I went to KIS, the international mm -hmm. school. And then I went to Boston University initially as a psychology major. And then I also transferred to Cornell as a hotel. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Why from psychology to hotel? -y? Yeah, good question. I initially, so I always loved media in high school too. But then a lot of my like grownups that I looked up to, they told me to get a major in the social sciences because um, it'll be useful for whatever I choose to do 
for my career. And so I decided to do psychology because I loved taking the class in high school. And also I thought maybe that I would want to become a neurologist or a psychiatrist. And then as soon as I got to school, I realized like I also briefly worked at a research lab studying like twins. And I it was a fun experience, but I didn't really see a future in it for myself. Yeah. So then I started looking to like the communication schools and taking like film classes. And I thought that was really cool. And I also took business classes and I thought that was cool. But then I felt like I was just like letting the times go by in college without me figuring out exactly what I wanted to do. So I decided to like take a pause from school and then I decided to work in Korea. I'm not sure if you know One Million Dance Studio, but it's like a dance media entertainment company. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> killing it on YouTube and just everywhere, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's where I worked for a year as a project manager. I also like loved dance, so I didn't dance while working at the company, but like my interest in dance kind of led me to work at the company and then mm -hmm. yeah I did a lot of so I was like one of the few people who could speak English at the company because it was still a fledgling startup at the time even though it's like kind of a big company now and mm -hmm. so I got to travel a lot overseas to like put on workshops and like attend conventions and <gasps> wow yeah yeah so I don't know if you heard of like YouTube fan fest or KCON I used um, yeah yeah I would organize those events and then <gasps> wow that's crazy <laughs> so that kind of led me to be interested in like customer service because like I was interacting with the event attendees and I realized the content of the event is important but then like the customer support that I also provide for these people shape their experience with our company so That kind of kind of led me to hospitality and like inspired me to study hotel administration. So very scattered background, like you mentioned. I thought I was like listening to myself and you were describing your work experiences and how people told you that you needed to like hone in on one area, but I did mm -hmm. not at all. Yeah, I think that's completely fine. It's just like, like, I also think like that expectation that people have, like, Also, just being at, like, I know from my time at Cornell, too, it's just, like, really three majors that, like, three job, like, opportunities that people think of. It's just either you become a consultant, you work for investment banking and consulting, or you go for pre-law, pre-med. And, like, I had a lot of Asian friends, like, and those were, like, honestly, like, the, the only, like, career paths that people took out of my friend group and I was honestly the black sheep of my <laughs> within my friends and within the international community and it was just like yeah what is she doing with her life and I had very very low self-confidence about it for the longest time but I'm very happy that I found something that I truly love and all these like job experiences they amounted to to what I'm doing now and I think that's just like you never know and like I personally think that it's a good idea to experiment around and not just pigeonhole yourself into one job because hey like what if you end up hating it then you're like left with no clue on what you like and you gotta experiment to to know mm -hmm. so I think what you're doing is completely completely fine um What medium do you usually use to, uh, like, you know, market Brainchild and like, how are you kind of like getting it across people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
I'm not a very good marketer, which I'm going to have to learn to become better at. But so far, it's just been the interviewees that I'm interviewing, like sharing it on their platforms. Like some of them are bigger creators than I am. So that naturally attracts more audience. Um, I also like share it on my social, my own Instagram account. But I've been thinking of just putting it out on LinkedIn with like more written articles about the the episodes. And yeah, I've been thinking of like creating my own website. And yeah, I'm thinking of different ways. I feel like after now that school is almost over, I can focus more on the the podcast. And I'm excited too. Hmm. I think. A good way would be like looking on Brainchild and also a website is very important for, um, yeah, a website is just very important for sponsorships in the future and for people to reach out and um, just kind of solidifying yourself as a brand. So I think that's something that I would recommend, just a small recommendation. Um you should seriously think about putting your stuff on TikTok and maybe not just audio, but also like doing video and asking your interviewees to film themselves so that you could kind of create a short video of um, like a short video format. Because like, as I said, like there's no other app that really pushes your content to someone who might not be interested in what you're doing and to get them hooked on it. So you should consider doing that too. Yeah, that's a great idea. Podcasts don't have any algorithm, so it's actually really hard for people to voluntarily come across your show. Mm -hmm. They have to actively search for it. So that's a great, great Mm -hmm. idea. Yeah, and uh, like this, what you're doing is something that a lot of people would be interested in doing because um, in order to get verified on Instagram, um, you have to be uh, like kind of interviewed and there has to be some kind of like media about it to really solidify you as like uh, an actual creator. And that's what verification process is. And, you know, there's four forms of media that... uh, Instagram really wants to see from creators like one is audio like podcasts and interviews and then the uh, second would be print media um people really like they also really like seeing people who have been like just on newspapers and then three is just like big um media companies um just like reposting your stuff and like video um uh, like what do you call it like if you've been featured on a video like, yeah um, they care about that um, I'm sure you already know this and I'm just regurgitating stuff you already know but um, yeah I think this is that there's not that many people that honestly reach out to creators for podcasts and like I know creators are looking for um, opportunities to speak more so that they could also be uh, it, it helps with their verification process so mm-hmm. um, yeah I think what you're doing is great Thank you. Weren't you just uh, repurposed by BuzzFeed? Uh, reposted? Yeah, so I got reposted by BuzzFeed last night and like uh, three, four days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, <laughs> I don't really know, know what to say. That's a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. It is pretty crazy. Um, yeah, they did a compilation video on me um, and that was that was very, very wild. Yeah. Mm hmm. So that's one thing that one of the four things that you mentioned. 
Yeah, and now I have podcasts, so yeah, we we about to get verified. We about to get that blue check. Um, but that's all like very. I mean, I'm very very new, so it usually like verification is a very like you know it, it, no one knows what goes into it. There are some people that are verified and people don't understand why they are. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I actually wanted to also mention that. I think it was a smart choice that you decided to be active on multiple accounts simultaneously, although TikTok is your main one, because like I would hear stories about people who've been posting on their blogs for the longest time and it didn't go anywhere. And then they started writing on LinkedIn and then they went viral. And so you can never predict like which account people are going to connect to you through with. Mm-hmm. So I think it's definitely good to dig multiple holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So diversifying and like making sure that my eggs are not in one basket is something that I'm very, very, I've been mindful of. Like in the beginning, actually, um, mm-hmm. I only cared about posting on TikTok and I was like, yeah, Instagram's for oldies. Like it's not relevant anymore. That's like what I initially thought. But no, like Instagram is big and I've actually been kind of like focusing more on making sure that my reels are posted and like, you know, there's some strategies that I do so that, you know, I have much more longer watch time and to kind of grow my community through my cooking classes and to kind of have that sense of, you know, a sense of community essentially on Instagram and Mm -hmm. like TikTok as a platform. Yes, it's really great for pushing your content to a bunch of new people who are not interested in your niche at all. Um, But it's not the best place to grow a community because your videos, it doesn't really even even if someone follows you, your videos don't pop up on their For You page and people only really care about For You page and not a fo- their following page. So it's a very different um, community versus uh, Instagram, whereas Instagram are people who are much more dedicated to you. They want to know what's going on in your day-to-day life from your stories. They want to know what you post um, from like either um, they're from, from your posts and they want to like get to know who you are through like Instagram lives. Um, and then like reels are, I guess, kind of similar to TikTok where it pushes your content to a lot of different people and to, to kind of, you know, hook them in to discover your content. But yeah, Instagram is just at the end of the day, it's such a multifaceted um, platform where you can also like directly um, engage with your followers, like through DMs that it's very powerful and it's not something that's i think gonna be like gone anytime soon so yeah i think instagram is has the potential to really grow a lot um but yeah yeah and um tiktok also um i don't know if you've been on douyin it's like the it's the Chinese TikTok. So TikTok mm. is like made by ByteDance mm-hmm. and they have like Chinese TikTok and international TikTok. And what we have is international TikTok and there's Douyin, um, which is like only for Chinese, um, like for Chinese users. Like you, you don't, we don't see any like Chinese users on international TikTok because they have their own version and that's the version they use. But it's a lot more advanced than the TikTok that we use. It's... Um, you know, on the app itself, like let's say you there's um, a shopping cart like on it, like shopping, you can directly go to um, shopping for things on the video. Like, okay, here, I'm doing a very bad job explaining it, but let's say I'm like wearing um, like this necklace and I'm cooking on this like Debayer pan or this Le Creuset pan. Like, 
users will be able to see what products I'm using and they click on the button in the app that says, you know, what products I'm using and they get directly, um, they go directly to a Taobao website or an Alibaba website um, and creators earn um, the commission fee off of like what they buy. And they also have like the creator fund and it's a lot much, it's a lot more powerful um, app than international TikTok because one, the algorithm is just crazy, crazy good at knowing who you are and what you're interested in and what you want to see. And with that shopping aspect of um, combined together, I feel like TikTok is just going to be growing stronger and stronger um, and honestly have the ability to become the next Amazon with all the data it has. Wow, I am sold. I'm going to be I'm going to be on TikTok next. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're, you're, I think you'll do well. Thank you so much for your time. And I loved connecting with you. So glad that we did this call. I hope you come back and speak with us next time. And I can't wait to see how your launch goes with your new aprons. Thank you, Patricia. Um, I had so much fun talking on this podcast, sharing what I'm very passionate about. And it was such a good time connecting with you. And it was honestly just like talking to... Um, one of my friends so I had a blast thanks so much for having me was that okay yeah that was great <laughs>